0: God's love and his care for us is so deep that he doesn't just save us, but he in fact cares for us and provides us. He feeds us uh, daily. He even gathers us us weekly so that we can be fed by Him, reminded him, reminded of truth by him, corrected, shaped all sorts of things. So this really is a gift that God has given us that we can sit under his word, learn from him, that we can shape our entire lives based off of uh, what he has said to us and how he has revealed himself to us. It really does shape the way that we see ourselves and the world and him, uh, and so we're grateful for this time. Uh, we've been taking a break from our series on Acts. We'll be continuing that next, uh, next week when we gather together. We'll jump back into Acts again and continue studying through that book. Uh, this morning, we'll have one more opportunity to uh, preach outside of that text. And this morning, we're going to have Joe uh preach to us this morning, Uh, You may uh, know this or you may not, Joe has been sort of working behind the scenes, uh, preparing, thinking through youth ministry at at our church. Uh, We we just uh, ran some numbers. It seems like we have about 113 kids in our church, uh, in this small little church. And so at one point, all of them are going to jump into youth ministry all at the same time. And so we're going to quit at that point. We're going to call it quits. Uh, The pastors are going to retire. We're going to hand it over to Joe and let him take over at that point. But we're really excited that he is actually doing the work at this point of thinking through what youth ministry could look like and developing that. And we're really grateful for him in doing that. This morning, he's going to be preaching to us from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so in a moment we're gonna hear Deuteronomy six read to us, and then he'll preach from it, and then we'll continue in Acts starting next Sunday. So I'm gonna invite Sidon to come up and read from the, the portion of scripture.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Um, we're gonna read Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four to nine. Uh, Again, that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9. It is on page 151 in the Black Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. And if you're able to, please rise as we read God's word together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk, talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be <clears throat> as the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. The word of the Lord. You may be seated.
2: morning church it is great to be called uh, by god to come under his word and and hear from him so it's just beautiful that uh, we get to to do that together so with that uh, we'll jump right in all right this morning we're going to talk about passing on our faith to the next generation sharing the good news of the gospel to our children Right? And I want to propose to you that the ages of 4 through 14 may be the most important years of your children's lives when it comes to passing on the faith to them. All right? Because literally, you get a chance to shape the way that their lives will move forward from there. Okay? Why do I say that? Let's t- take a look at these stats. 85% of those who make a decision to follow Jesus do so between the ages of 4 and 14. 85%. About 70% of young adults who indicated that they attended church regularly in high school drop out of going to church, although about two thirds may at some point make their way back of the 70. Of the 70%, 80% of them indicated that they never planned to do so during high school. They are not leaving because they have a specific disagreement with theological upbringing or from rebellion. They just lose track of church and stop seeing it as important to their life. Or listen to this quote from Redeemer City to City. The best and most recent research is showing that the largest and fastest numerical shift in religious affiliation in this country will occur in the next three decades. Even in the best case scenarios, if things continue as they are, Christian affiliation will generally sh- will shrink dramatically. But the great concern is if we don't change the nature of what our churches are doing, we will see 30 to 35 million youths from Generation Z who are raised in the church leave the faith. Predictions are that as many as 1 million Generation Zs will disaffiliate from church each year for the next 30 years. They are leaving not because of any crisis, but simply because. They don't see church as relevant to their lives and the world in which they live okay for those of you that are not christians listening to this sermon i want you to know that for the christians in this room the gravity of those statements are huge okay a christian parent's number one desire for their children is that they would become followers of christ to believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation is the only way that they will inherit an eternal life. Okay? So young people are leaving the church. Young people are walking away from their faith in Jesus. And if you're anything like me, when you heard these stats, to say that you're concerned is an understatement. Right? Imagine for a moment, right? Binu had just talked about this. 113 kids in this church. Imagine you fill this stage with 113 kids and now take 70% of them and, and take them off the stage. That's how many are leaving the church after high school. Imagine the 85% that we just talked about, right? The 85% of people that make a decision to follow Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. That is a pivotal Stage in our kids' lives for us to pass on our faith to them, right? So with that red alert in your mind, with the stats that we just shared with today, what are some ideas that come into your mind when it comes to your kids? So I already know what the type A's are already thinking in the the seats over there, right? They're already running down their lists of what they're going to do to combat this dropout rate, right? They've already got a list going. They go, all right, well, Sunday school, well, we're going to have to get them into a killer Sunday school for them to go ahead and make sure that they get to know Christ. And you know what? We're gonna need a youth group. Where's the youth group at Seven Mile Road? It's not here yet. Why isn't it here yet, right? You're thinking, all right, well, we gotta make sure, you know, in a summer, there's about five VBSs. And if I time it just right, I can enter them and exit them and exit them and enter them throughout the summer all year long so that they get teaching from there, right? And when VBS is done, summer is complete, well, guess what? I gotta wanna. I can just loop them into there and I'm covered for the rest of the year. All right, I feel a little bit better about this, okay? Well, no, well, I want to tell you guys that in the text that we're reading today, God has explicitly addressed this topic, right? He's given us a plan for how we're going to pass on our faith from this generation to the next, okay? And surprisingly, it is not Sunday school, it is not youth group, it is not VBS, and it is not want WANA or any other program that you can think of that's going to do this thing, right? If there's one thing that I want you to take away from today, the primary thing that I want you to take away is this, that God has ordained, God has designed it so that parents are the ones that will pass on the faith from this generation to the next, okay? Parents, you bear the primary responsibility to pass on the faith To your children. And with that, let's dive into the text together. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. We're going to read it again. It's on page 151 in your Bible pews. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. These words I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right, to set up this scripture in in history, this is where we're at. Moses is actually teaching the children of the parents who escaped uh, Egypt. Okay, so the children of the parents that escaped Egypt, those children were there. They were there when they saw all the plagues of Egypt, of all the plagues that happened to Egypt, right? They were there when they saw the Red Sea split in two and they walked on that dry land. They saw the armies of Israel, the armies of Egypt get swallowed up as the sea flew back into place, right? When they hit Mount Sinai, they beheld the glory of God descending on that mountain. They saw the smoke and the fire and the lightning and the, and the trumpet sounding, right? They saw all of that. And now Moses is preaching to them and he's renewing the covenant that God made with those parents, with the next generation, right? If you were to think about What was the people group that 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 was made up of? I want you to look to the left and to the right because I believe that's kind of who we, we had singles, we had families with young children, right? These are the people that are hearing this renewed covenant, right? And so we read in verses four and five, and here's the thing, God is not going to start with, now this is how you teach your kids, right? He's not going to start there, right? Instead, this is where he begins, verses four and five. Let's read together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Okay. Children have this superpower, okay, when they're born, all right? They have this, they're like imbued with this from the womb, okay? They know how to pick out a fake from about a mile away. They got a hypocrite meter that's like goes off when they interact, right? They know when you're faking it, right? So if you go and you try to teach your children, love the Lord, they will see that it's not real for you. They will feel that it's not real. And if your kids are anything like mine, they're going to call you out on it, okay? They're literally going to be like, "Mm, I don't know if you do because I saw you do this last week, dad. I'm like, oh, okay, well. You know, so that's kind of what happens, right? But thankfully, that's not where God starts out, right? Like, that's not where God starts out with us, right? God doesn't start out with us teaching our children. God starts out, he invites us to start out with him. He says, start out with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. God invites us to start cultivating a love relationship with him. That's how he wants us to start. So how do we do that, all right? I have some suggestions for you as to how do I start cultivating a love relationship with God, all right? Get away from things that distract you, okay? What do I mean by that? For me, right, for me, it's Netflix, okay? I don't know what it is. It's Netflix, right? I love binge-watching Netflix. I sit down, and I'll lose hours sitting down and watching Netflix. So for me, I got to get away from the TV and my phone because I got it on both, right, right? Netflix is everywhere. It surrounds us, right? So I got to get away from those things, right? If I get away from those distractions, now I can sit down and I can begin to just conversate with God. I have that space. I can just start talking with Him, right? Here's another suggestion set aside some prime time to talk with God. Okay, what do I mean by that, right? Some prime time. So you can pray at any time, at any place, right? I'm not taking that away, but what is some prime time that you can do? For me, I'm just going to tell you what I mean by that. I'm not a night guy, right? After I come back home from work, I'm tired, I eat, I put my kids down, I give them baths, brush their teeth, do the nighttime routine. I finally sit down and I go, all right, time to pray for myself. I put my hands together and I say, oh God. And before I know it, I'm in my dream begging a robber not to rob me, okay? That's literally what happens, right? So I am not a night guy. So I don't engage God at night, right? I shouldn't do it right then and there, right? Instead, I should do it in the day or sometime, right? So for you, when is the best time to do that? Maybe it's when you wake up in the morning, you start up that coffee machine, you got a hazelnut coffee in front of you, you got your creamers and your sugars, you sit down, and now you commune with God. Maybe it's that. Or maybe it's on your way to work. It's like the only time that you get a little bit of alone time. You're in the car or you're on the train. Start to talk with him. Use those moments to talk with God, right? It could be when you go for a walk and you're just going to, you know, like you love to like look at creation. It stirs up your heart, stirs up what it is that you want to do. And you can just talk with him. Maybe it's in a run, right? Maybe it's at night. You get out on your porch or you stoop at night and you just feel the night air and you just know that you can start talking with him, right? Whatever it is, put yourself in the best place and the best time to just talk with him and build that relationship with the Lord. Here's another one. Read God's word. okay? Read His word. His word is going to be the way that you get to know Him. He shows himself in His word, right? You literally get to see His character. You get to know about the never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love of God that He has for you. You get to know that in His word, okay? My favorite verse, in scripture when it comes to talking about God is Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, right? I'm going to paraphrase it for you, right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water who yields its fruit in season and whose leaves does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers, right? Read God's word. Be like that tree. The roots is going into the word of God, and that's how you grow up big and strong as a tree, right? God wants you to read his word. So build the habit. It's not going to come easy. It actually will require you to actually build a habit in there so that in the ebbs and flows of your relationship with him, you read his word. All right. So those are some of the ways that we can do that. His word, what it does is it shapes us and it teaches us about God. And here's the danger, right? If we don't use his word, what we do is we start to create a God that is in our image. What do I mean by that, right? I mean the God that you will start to create for yourself, if you're not letting the word tell you who he is, you're just going to create him, right? You're going to create a God that's going to look like you, He's going to talk like you. He's never going to disagree with you. He's never going to mold you. He's never going to shape you. He's never going to reveal wrong thinking in you, right? This God will be just like you. Don't do that. Don't do that because that's not who He is. He shows us who He is in His Word. So read His Word. Carve out some time to do that. Let's read verse six together. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. The heart is an interesting concept from the Bible, right? And it actually means a lot more back then than it does for us today, right? When I think of heart, what do I think of? I think of, this is the place where my feelings come from, right? So if I were to tell you, I love my wife and I love my kids, you guys feel that? I know I did, right? Because that's actually, came from my heart, right? This is where you feel things, right? But for in the Bible, the the heart doesn't just, it's not just the place where our feelings come from, right? It actually is also the seat for the mind and the will. And what do I mean by that? Let's, let's go through a couple of verses together, see if we can flush that out, okay? First verse. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Inclining your heart to understanding. There's a, there's a, There's a, it's talking about the heart where it's connected to the mind, understanding, right? So the heart is not just a place of feelings. It's also where your mind is connected, all right? Let's look at the next one. You will find me and seek me when you seek me with all your heart, okay? Find me and seek me when you seek me with all your heart. There's there's like a will that's embedded in that verse, right? So the heart is not just a place for the feelings. It's a place for mind and it's a place for the will, okay? So, in the old days, the Greeks and the Romans, when they think about the heart, they thought, you know what? Heart's not important. Worry about the mind, right? Fill yourself with knowledge. And if you had feelings, just stifle the feelings because they're not really important. They don't really do good for you. Fill up your mind, okay? If it, to help you to understand, it would be like if the Greeks and the Romans back in the day had to pick their favorite Disney character as to, like, you know, who's their favorite Disney character? Their Disney character would be Elsa from Frozen. You get it, right? Because, right? No, you don't get it? It's like, conceal it, don't feel it, don't, don't let it show, right? They would, they would be like, yes! No, actually, no, they would be like, yes, mentally. That's what it is, yes, right? That's what they would say, right? But today's day and age, right, we have that flipped, okay? It's actually not like, you know, stifle your emotions, right? It's actually the opposite. It's like, what do you feel, what are your dreams? What are your desires? Get after them. Fulfill them. That's the, the, the tone today, right? So if they had to pick their favorite Disney character, who would it be? It would be Elsa from Frozen. You guys know why, right? No? Ironically? No? Okay. It's because let it go. No, no, I'm sorry. Okay. I apologize to the leadership to, for, for, you know, kind of <laughs> giving you that song. All right? So... There's two different ends of the pendulum, right? One is stifle the feelings, right? Let your mind lead. The other is let your feelings reign, right? Let it run wild. Do what it is that you got to do, right? Two different ends, right? Well, the Bible has a different approach to, the, to, to your feelings, right? The Bible doesn't tell you to stifle your feelings. and The Bible doesn't tell you to just vent your feelings and let them run wild, right? Actually, the Bible tells us we should do this. We should sift our, sift our feelings, We should evaluate them, and then we should direct them to God, okay? We sift our feelings, we evaluate them, and then we direct them to God, right? You guys kind of hear how every part of your heart is actually engaged here, right? You have these feelings, but what do you do? You sift them, right? You evaluate them with your mind, right? And then with your will, you don't spray them all over the place, right? Wildly, you just, you direct them to God, because that's what God wants you to do, Right? There's these three places for the heart. Okay, so what, is that, what does that approach do? It doesn't make our feelings unimportant, and it doesn't make our feelings all important, but it puts feelings in the right place, right? And we direct them to the Lord. Well, what does the Bible teach us what we should do with our hearts, right? What, what, what is our hearts? The heart actually makes you who you are, right? It's, it's what you love the most is what, you, is what you are, okay? It's literally what the heart is, right? If you do not believe that makes, like what you, it's not what you believe that makes you what you are because that's just the mind, right? It's what your heart trusts in the most, right? It's what your heart holds as the ultimate. So I want to ask you the question. What does your heart trust in? You can say you trust in God, but where is your heart? Okay, an example to help us kind of get, uh, get there, right? One example of many. Uh, for example, you know you should be generous, right? There's something, someone that's in need for you right in front of you, and you know that you should be generous to them. But for some reason or other that you find, you know that you're not going to give. You say, you know what? Now's really not a good time. There's a lot going on, and I would give when it's another time, but it's not going to be right now, Okay? You know mentally you should, but you you don't do it. Why? Because I want to propose to you that in your heart, the love of money is reigning, even though the love of God is there as well. It's taking a back seat, right? The primary piece is there's a love of money. What's in the love of money, right? Security. I have security when I have more money. So if I give up my money, I give up that security, right? It may be that you feel superior, right? Look how much money I have. I feel good when I have this much money, so I'm not going to give that up. You guys follow? So literally, the love of money is going to drive what you do, even though God, the love of God is there. Because the love of money takes the ultimate, it's going to drive what you do with your money. All right. So what is this verse telling us? This verse is telling us, the command to love the Lord will be on your heart right, mind, will, feelings, all in there, right, if you love the Lord as ultimate in your heart, that is going to drive the what you do, so let's take that example, right, that person is in need in front of you, and you know all the things that are going on in your life, but instead of letting those things, the love of security, the love of comfort, the love of superiority take control, it's there, but the love of God reigns, it's ultimate, And the love of God tells me, well, you know what? I'm going to trust the Lord for what I have. I know there's a need. I feel God is telling me I need to give, and so I give. It drives what you do, right? When the Lord is ultimate in your life, it's going to drive what you do. It's going to drive the way you live. It's going to drive the way you give. It's going to drive the way you interact with one another. It's going to drive the way you teach your children. And so let's roll into the next couple of verses here. Verses 7 through 9. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is how God has designed us to pass on the faith from one generation to the next, okay? From loving the Lord, from from basically molding this relationship, cultivating this love relationship with God, we then have uh, the love of the Lord as ultimate in our hearts, and from that relationship that fills us up, it overflows to teaching our children, That's the way God has designed it from the Old Testament until today. He wants this faith in him to pass on, not from you, to the next generation, your children, and to your children's children. That's how God designed it. Dad and mom, God's command for you is to make disciples of your children. Let that sink in for you. Make disciples of your children, not the program's not churches with great youth programs, right? If you're a single parent, it's you. And if you come from a two-parent home, it's not the one that's more spiritually mature than you are. It's the both of you, all right? And if you're hearing this charge that God has placed upon you, you may be thinking the way I did, why in the world did God design it this way? doesn't make sense to me, right? Because there's a lot of other people that are better teachers than I am. So why would God make it that parents are the ones that bear the primary responsibility for passing on the faith to the next generation? It doesn't make any sense, right? Until I read verse seven again. Let's read verse seven again. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, Okay. It's time. That's the way God has designed families. Parents spend the most time with their kids, right? Let's, let's think about the programs that we drop off our kids to to learn about God, all right? Let's, let's talk about that, right? We have Sunday school. Sunday school lasts about 45 minutes, and I can attest to you that 45 minutes goes like that every week, all right? I'm like, oh, man, that went by so fast, right? You have VBS that may be a span of one week, and in those days, it's about three or four hours a day. By the way, there's hundreds of children, depending on the VBS that you pick, that are there, right? Uh, You have Awana and youth group that have about an hour and a half times, right? where, Where they spend time together. Again, multiple children, perhaps fewer volunteers, right? But you, oh parent, You get to spend time with them all the time. You get to spend time with them in the mornings, in the afternoons, and in the evenings. You get to spend time with them before school and after school. You get to spend time with them on their vacations. You get to spend time with them in their car rides. You get to spend time with them all the time. And with that time, the natural byproduct of using that time and being with them in that time is knowledge. You guys really get to know your kids well. You get to know... The cry that they have, oh, they're really tired. How do do you know that from just a cry? I don't understand, right? Like, you get to know them. You get to know their dislikes and their likes. You get to know when you should approach things with your children and when not to approach things with your children, right? You get this knowledge about your kids, and each kid of yours is so different, but you get to be an expert in each of your kids because of the amount of time that you get to spend with them, right? So I got a... And when you preach to your children, when you teach them the word of God, when you spend that time that you have pouring with them the word of God, then you get to shape your child's worldview, all right? I got another crazy stat for you guys, all right? A child finalizes their worldview by the age of 10 years old, okay? Now, a worldview is how a child makes sense of the world around them, okay? Uh, it it would be like, it's it's like when you share the gospel with your kids, what you're doing is you're giving them special lenses for which to see the world, okay? You teach them the gospel, you teach them from the word of God, and now they have lenses for which to understand, interpret, and live with the world, right? Okay, and here's the thing. A, A worldview, if I were to give you an example of what a worldview is, it's kind of like a radar screen, okay? You teach them from the word, And they have this radar screen. And the radar screen keeps searching, right? And as long as everything goes well with what it is you've taught them, it's fine. But as soon as something goes contrary to what the worldview that you have taught, boop, boop, right? It registers that, right? And so they start to see the things that don't run along with your teaching of what the worldview is, right? So here's a sober warning for you parents, Okay. If you don't teach your children a biblical worldview, if you don't teach your children this, there are other forces out there that will teach worldviews and ideologies for them, for you. Okay? What do I mean by that? Our children face a tidal wave. I No joke. A tidal wave of worldviews and theologies that they are bombarded with. What do I mean by that? Industries spend billions of dollars to get marketing research perfect to make our children lifelong consumers of their products. And what's the goal of their commercials? You buy your pro- my product, you're going to be happy. All right? Okay, so you can think about all the commercials that they see, dad, I want that. And you're like, no child. And then you finally give in. They get it. They open it up. They experience it. And they find, they play with it for like a week and it's gone and on to the next thing. It's teaching our children to fill our hearts with something other than God, and they'll always continue to ask for more because it'll never fill the hole unless it is the word of God. It is God itself that's filling their hole, right? Schools will step in and teach their worldview, right? A lot of it is good, right? The school that my kids go to, I love a lot of the values that they teach them, right? There's a pledge that they... That they uh, teach the kids, right? It, it goes like this. I pledge to try each day in my work and in my play to be respectful, responsible, honest, and kind. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that is awesome. Like, I love that my school is, is, is teaching them that, right? But there's going to be times where the school worldview will bump up against our worldview as Christians about what God commands us to do, right? I'll give you an example. There's one day my son comes back home from school, immediately runs, opens the door and says, hey, mom, do you know I just learned this song? I want you to hear it, right? And let me give you a little bit of background, right? The school, the music class, is teaching them uh, uh, songs for their winter uh, concert. And one of them is a, is a song that's a worship song to a Hindu god, okay? And they took a lot of the time of class to teach them about This Hindu god and how this Hindu god has superpowers, all right? Super relatable way of teaching kids about what it is that they need to learn about this song, right? And my son hears this, takes this in, and his worldview radar is working, and all of a sudden, boop, wait a minute, that's a little bit different than what I've been taught. So, what it's no accident that the first thing that my son asks my wife about is this song, Mom is there more than one God? Is my God just like this God, that it's just like a story? Or what is it? I don't know. To this day, my, my, this music class has impacted my son to this day. Now he struggles with that question of, is God real? Like, now that's normal for children, but I just want you guys to know that this is the things that our children can be um, bombarded with, right? Our schools have our children seven to eight hours a day they're going to hear multiple different worldviews, right? Take, for instance, music, right? Music carries messages of love, sadness, hate. It carries messages about God or gods or drugs or sex or violence, right? And it fills uh, our children's ears. And guess what? They get to hear this music over and over and over again. And it gives these children, if they feel any of those feelings, now those words can be their words. They're impressing upon them their worldview, how it is that they should view the world. Friends and family. Friends and family can also fill the gap if we're not teaching our children about the worldview in which they need to view the world, right? The old adage, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. It's very true, right? As we surround ourselves with friends and family that we we are close with, we get to sound like them. We start to talk like them, right? And, of course, when you have a friend or family, they're going to be real comfortable telling you, hey, this is the way I see the world. They're going to hear worldviews from there as well. Okay. So, what's the answer? With all these different worldviews that bombard our children from all sides, what do we do? Well, do we take our kids out of there and say, you know what, I'm going to wrap them in a bubble and bubble wrap, they're going to be all wrapped up. I'm just going to shout in there the Christian worldviews and they'll be all right, right? You, you could do that. And I understand, like, why people would, their initial reaction would be to do that, right? Because as parents, we want to protect our children, right? We want to be able to protect them from all the things that happen. But I think as if we as parents don't prepare our children to first learn their faith, but then also to interact with the world and how it is that they need to interpret their faith against what it is that the world says, they're they're not going to be ready for the world, right? We're going to give them a faith that is half-baked, that is immature and incompatible. And just like that stat that we talked about at the top of the sermon, right? Why are children leaving the faith? Why are people leaving Well, it's because they're finding that their faith is not incompatible and it's not compatible with the world that they live in. And so they may be one of the statistics that we walk that they walk away from the faith. Okay? So parents, so parents, teach your children a biblical worldview from which to view the world. Okay? What do I do? What do I teach them? Teach them about creation. Teach them about how God created the world and it was beautiful. Teach them about the fall. Teach them about how mankind sinned, and sin created this huge gap between God and man, right? Teach them about how God didn't let it stay that way. God already enacted a plan, knew that was going to happen, and enacted his rescue plan so that he could span the gap. And what did he do? He sent his son. Teach him about the gospel, the beautiful good news of the gospel, that he sent his only son, Jesus, into the world so that those who believe in him, he lived the life that we should have lived He died the death that we should have died. Those that believe in him, repent and take him as ultimate in their lives, they are set free by the gospel, right? Tell them about what their new purpose is. Their purpose is not to live for themselves anymore. Their purpose is to live for the glory of God so that they can see all things restored the way God intended. And when you teach them about God and when you pour the word of God into your children, they're going to start training their lenses into how they should view the world. And their radar is going to go, and it's going to go off, and beep, and they're going to ask questions, okay? Questions. I am driven crazy by questions. I don't know about you guys, but some days, there are days where I come back home from work, I'm exhausted, okay? All I want to do is get in. I, I, I pull into the driveway, I hang for a little bit. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'm going to go in. I just want to eat. I just want to grab, put on Netflix. You know, that's my distraction, right? Binge watch. I want to just eat my food in peace and just go to sleep. I just want my mind to get numb, right? I go in. Dad, what's this? You got all these questions, right? You, you, you got to be able to like, have you guys been there? All right. Okay. I want to quickly read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 to 23. When your son asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statues and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. Okay. When you guys are tired and you're going to be tired and your kids come to you with questions. Fathers, I'm going to address you. Okay. And your child comes up to you. You're going to take them aside. Right. I want you to take a knee. I want you to look your child in the eye. And fathers, I want you to tell your children go talk to your mother. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally kidding. All right. What you do is this. You ask the Lord for patience. You ask the Lord for strength because we all, we are, we're all there. we all there. We've all been there, right? You ask the Lord for patience and strength. You ask the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say because you need to teach your children how to their questions, how, how the things that have hit their radar, how they're going to interact that with their faith, with the worldview that you've taught them, right? Because just like the scripture has shown, they're going to come to you with questions. That's how God designed it. Your kids are going to ask you questions. But you guys need to know that if you don't fill in the dots for them, other forces are going to come in and do it. So pray for strength, pray for wisdom, and answer their questions so that you give them The lenses that they need to view the world, okay? My prayer for our kids here at Seven Mile Road is not that they just come to know Jesus, because we all want our kids to know Jesus, right? But I want them to stand courageously for Jesus. I want them to not be blown about by false and deceptive teachings that will come in, right? But instead, stand on the rock of Jesus Christ, so that they know how to interact with the world. That's the type of faith I want our children to have. Okay? When are we supposed to cheat them, Joe? (laughs) Like, I don't think you understand the schedule that we are faced with, so let me give you a little hint of what is going on, okay? Mondays is swimming for all the kids, all right? Tuesdays is piano for the eldest, and we also have gymnastics for the middle child that we sometimes ignore. All right, right, we have gymnastics for them. It's at the same time. We want to cut it, but... We feel bad that we ignore the middle child, so we're going to keep it, all right? Then we got the youngest child, and this child needs music class on Wednesdays, and she's got such an ear, Joe, you don't understand, so we need to hone that in. And guess what? My oldest, he's going to be a professional soccer player, so we need to join the travel team. That's going to mean more practices day and night. It's going to mean that we miss a bunch of Sundays, but we got to hone our child's skills, right? Does that sound familiar? But given the command, given the charge that God is giving us as parents to teach our children, given that he is doing that, should we not take another look at the way that we're scheduling out our time and maybe look at the number of activities that we're planning and maybe cut back one or two? You may say to me, you know what, one to two activities is not going to cut that much, right? In verses seven through nine, God doesn't say to you, "And so I will give you more hours in the day in which to teach your children." You're welcome, right? He doesn't say that, right? You wish he did, he didn't, right? But this is the way he teaches us in verse verses seven through nine. He says, "Teach them when they sit down in their home. Teach them when they rise. Teach them when they walk around the boy way, and when they lay down to sleep." God is telling you to use the ebbs and flows of the life that you are currently having in your home to teach your children. That's how he wants you to teach your kids. So what does that look like for us practically, okay? What does that look like uh, to us practically? It means maybe we do things a little bit differently, like family dinner. Maybe you guys eat separately. Maybe now you eat together, right? And when you sit down to eat together, Maybe you guys bring topics of what you're going to in- interact with with the children, right? For instance, hey, guys, did you guys hear that song that we just listened to? What is that song teaching you? Hmm, okay. Now, what, what is it that God wants us to learn about that same topic? How is it different? And how are we supposed to react with, to that song? How is it that we should be living? It's a great way for us to take our faith, which... Is maybe just be here, but start to connect it to our feelings and start to connect it to our will so that now we can interact with that faith. And now this faith is become very relevant in how they should be, right? Think about your car trips, okay? Maybe in your car trips, yeah, you your kids, they throw on the headphones, right? And maybe dad throws on sports radio because, you know, fantasy football's coming up, right? And you gotta get to know, right? And maybe mom throws on their Netflix on their phone and is watching a movie. Maybe instead of doing that, maybe for a portion of your car ride, maybe you start going over a catechism, all right? For me, my family, we started going over the New City Catechism with our children, right? And they love it. It's actually, it's really funny. They are, they really love it. I didn't think that was gonna happen, but they do. It's a beautiful way to teach truths from scripture just really big truths of god that they may not totally grasp but what happens is when you go over that catechism it goes into their long-term memory and when god deems it necessary he's going to pull that out he's going to water it he's going to make it grow and they're going to learn how to interact with the world okay maybe for your nighttime routines right family worship are you doing family worship maybe you should right you should you should show your children how it is that you're worshiping god how it is that you interact how it is that you even confess sin right like just model that for them right maybe in during nighttime routines you drill scripture with them right our sunday school we have scripture that we send our children with back home with every week maybe you start building that into the times that you right before they go to bed hey tell me your scripture this is my scripture. All right, good job. Nope, you can't go to sleep. Keep going, right? Like, you don't know. Like, however you drill your children. Like, start to build that into your ebbs and flows of life. He doesn't, you don't need the extra hours. You build intentionally into the time that you do have, into your life, into ebbs and flows, okay? Because let me tell you, there's no greater tre- treasure that you can give your children than scripture because heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. And wherever they go, that scripture will go with them, all right? Fathers, I want to address you a second. For, re- for real this time, I'm not going to give you some fake advice, all right? Some real advice this time, okay? Dads, I want to tell you, for those, there are some dads among us where you guys are faithfully teaching your children and you're squaring off that time and you're really being intentional with it. And I want to thank God for you, all right? I want to thank God for what you're doing. You're taking seriously the role that God has given you to be the primary person to teach your children about Christ, right? Parents are doing that, right? But if you're anything like me, Maybe your culture and your past experience has told you that that role is not for you. It's for the more spiritually mature person in your, in, your, in, your, in your relationship, right? So maybe that's for your wife to teach your children. Because maybe in the back of your mind you're thinking, you know what, I do a lot here. That's not my strong suit. Give it over to somebody that does it well. Well, I want to read verse Psalm 78 for us, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read it quickly. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching— Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide, from their, hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet on board, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We are called to tell our children the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done specifically in our lives, in our context. That's the way God has made it. There's no mistake about what God has done to pair children and parents together. God has designed it so that parents... The way God has worked in your life, share that with your children and don't keep it from them. Let Tell them the glories of the things that God has done in your life so that they would see that God is actively at work, okay? And I want you to know, like, your children should hear from dad. Your children should hear from a man who loves Jesus to tell of their heavenly father's deeds as much as they need to hear from mom, okay? So to close, when I read verse eight in that psalm, if I were to be brutally honest, that's me, okay? I'm gonna read it for us. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. I'm gonna ask you some questions. Have you not loved the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might? Have you fallen short of what God has called you to as a parent? Have you pushed your responsibility onto others to teach your child the ways of the Lord? Have you allowed TV, school, family, friends, music to fill the void and teach your children their worldview? When you get home from work, do you check out? Do you have no patience patience to deal with questions from your children? Do you work so hard at work that you come home and you have nothing left to give? There may be hard seasons at work, but if that's continual, is that okay? Are you terrified at the question, what type of disciples am I making of my children? I answered yes to about all of them, all those questions. But here's the good news. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where the gospel comes in, right? Right here as parents, we can model the gospel for our children, right? As we leave, as we let this word sit on us, and it shows us all the places that we have fallen short It is here in this moment that we can turn to God and repent. We can repent of all the ways that we have fallen short. And and here's the thing. When we turn to Jesus and give him all the ways in which we have done that, God forgives your sin because of what Jesus did. You are forgiven. There is nothing that you could have done that God won't forgive. There's nothing. Now, you're going to think I'm crazy, but after that moment of really just receiving God's grace and God's free gift of forgiveness, this is what I would like you to do. I'd actually like for you to go to your kids and confess how it is that you failed them as a parent, okay? Well, what this does is, 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 is a wonderful thing, right? You are modeling for your children that you will sin, that you're in need of a savior, who forgives, and you're showing them how you've fallen short. It's just a beautiful way of really showing reality to your children of what the gospel truly is, right? You can go to them and say, you know what, dad and mom, I've messed up, but I've confessed that to the Lord, and he has cleansed me of all my sin and unrighteousness, and it's because of Jesus and what he's done. And you may be thinking to yourself as I kind of give you this, this charge to kind of do after, after church, like, Joe, you're crazy, okay? What you're doing is you're giving the keys to the inmates and they're going to run loose and they're going to run the asylum. That's literally what you're doing. I lose all the power if I tell them I'm wrong, if I tell them that I'm not, I'm not right. And my answer to you is yes and amen. The power actually does not belong to you. The power belongs to the gospel. It belongs to God, right? And this is the power in which we stand, right? We are all sinners and we all need saving, right? So that when you model this for your children, one day when God opens up your children's eyes to see how terrible they are, that they are sinners, they will turn to the Savior that their parents have been teaching about to them all along. Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, Father, we have fallen way, way short of what it is that you've called us to as parents to teach them. God, I've, I've fallen short in loving you. I've fallen short in teaching them. I've let others fill that gap for me. And Lord, maybe their worldview is already set what happens, but God, at the end of the day, you are in control There's no stat that is greater than you, and you can take and mold and shape our children's hearts to know you and love you and change their worldviews and be able to, for them to see how it is that they should view the world through your lens, through the lens of your word. So God, I thank you that you have forgiven us as parents, and that God, you don't call us to be perfect parents before we teach our kids. We are Very imperfect when it comes to that. But that God, you in your grace come and you forgive us and we model for our children the gospel of Jesus. And this is how we pass on the faith from one generation to the next. God, we want our children, our children's children, to know them so that there is a legacy that we leave behind. And the legacy that we leave behind is that they need to love the Lord with all their heart and with all their might, with all their soul, with all their strength. God, I pray that you would do a wonderful work in us as we go. Let us not go in condemnation. Let us go in the truth of the gospel that you've forgiven us and that you would now have given us a charge that we're ready to go and fill. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Uh, This is my second time hearing uh, from God's Word this morning, and I feel like